Isaiah chapter 66, verses 7 through 14. Isaiah 66, 7 through 14 this morning. And the title of the sermon is Rejoice in the Church. Rejoice in the Church. I don't know if you noticed this a few moments ago when we were singing Like a River Glorious, uh, but uh, the woman that wrote that borrowed from uh, these verses as she was writing, uh, as she was writing that uh, hymn. Uh, and it's a celebration of the Lord of the church who protects and provides for His people. This is God's good and kind and gracious word to you and for you today. This is your life. Give attention to God's word. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. That you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for God to help us understand his word. Pray with me, please. Our great God, we thank you for this glorious picture of your great provision uh, for your church and to your church, your beloved bride. Father, we confess that at times uh, we uh, do not trust you and we seek our own ways, and yet you have said there is one way that you delight to work, and it is in and through the church. I pray, Father, that we would today learn to rejoice in your church, that we would rejoice in your bride, that we would be nourished by the gospel of Jesus Christ as we see Christ more and more clearly today. Father, we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, is the church necessary? Last week, we dealt with Isaiah's kind of uh, the beginning of the end. He's closing down and finishing his great work, calling people to repentance, to faith in God. And we saw last week at the beginning of chapter 66 that he confronted those that believed that because they worshipped God in the temple that they were therefore accepted by God because of the place that they worshipped. And Isaiah reminds them, 
As God reminds Isaiah that he will receive worship when and how he desires. That it isn't in a single place or because you go to a place or the, the, the perfect uh, or the manner in which you perform this thing of worship that, you, that he receives you. No, it's about the heart. He receives uh, his people because of their heart and their heart's desire for him. Now in that, last week after I preached that sermon, I received a question. Well, well then, does it matter that we gather for corporate worship? Does what we do on Sunday morning gather if God doesn't need to be worshipped in a place? If there isn't a particular liturgy that we're supposed to follow? Well, none of those things. I didn't say any of those things last week. Because yes, God calls us to worship Him corporately as a people. Corporately as the church. God commands this, and we actually see in this passage God's great delight and His joy for the church. Now, He calls His people to delight in the church today. Modern evangelicals tend to emphasize individual worship. And they tend to to emphasize individual worship uh, over corporate worship. So that even when you gather into worship corporately, the idea is that it's you worshiping by yourself And what's happening next to you with your brothers and sisters next to you isn't all that important. Well, the scriptures explode that idea that, yes, we are coming as individuals to worship God. But we are coming as individuals together as one body, one unit to worship God together. So what we need to do is not emphasize individuals worshiping God individually, but individuals worshiping God corporately together. And we see some of these things in this passage today. What we're going to talk about today is the church, is the glory of the church, is the the glorious institution of the body of Christ. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the body of Christ in the United States is struggling a bit today. The church seems to be in decline. And the church looks weak and the church looks like it's not doing very well. And there's lots of things that are causing division among us. There are political divisions in the body of Christ. There are demographic divisions in the body of Christ. There are cultural divisions in the body of Christ. The the body of Christ looks like it's struggling. I was talking about these things uh, with a friend of mine this week, and he reminded me of uh, of a quote from Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was asked whether or not he liked... Uh, representative democracy is a form of government. And he said that representative democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that are way worse. All right? Now, the point is this. He recognized and said, this is what we have. Representative democracy is what we have, and it's pretty good. It could be better, yes, but it's pretty good. Now, the church is what God has given us. The church is His plan to save and bless His people. It's the best that we have. And because it's God's idea, it's the best that God has given us. And so we need to learn to rejoice in the church because God rejoices in the church. I want to look at this passage in three ways today. First of all, we're going to see church and children in verses 7 through 9. Church and children. Secondly, we're going to see the church and contentment in verses 10 through 11. And then third, we're going to see the church and comfort in verses 12 through 14. So let's begin there at verse 7, the church and children. Uh, Isaiah shifts from talking about how God is going to bring judgment upon his enemies and shame upon those 
in Jerusalem within the church that have rejected him. And he goes now to talking about the joy in Jerusalem. And he does it in this way. He uses an illustration. He says, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Well, he's using the imagery of a woman in in giving uh, birth. Now, Isaiah is picking up on a theme that he's been carrying through the entire book. And the theme that he is picking up on is the fact that Israel, as God's people, Jerusalem as the physical place of God's presence, or the Old Testament church, has not been giving children to God. That's been one of Isaiah's main themes, that she has rejected her husband, God, and has gone after other idols. And because of that, she has not given children to God. This is a big illustration that's carried all throughout the Scriptures. That's kind of the big picture that he's given. But notice what he says. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. And he's saying here that the church is going to deliver a son. One child will come forth out of the Old Testament church. And she will deliver a son before anyone is expecting it. Before anyone is looking for it. Now what's he talking about here? Isaiah is picking up the theme that begins in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3.15 where God looks at Eve after she has sinned against God. And she says, he says, I'm going to greatly increase your pain in childbirth. Yes, but you will have a child. You will have a male son. One son who will come forth. Who will crush the head of the serpent. He will come and finally deal with the curse that you have brought on all of humanity. God is looking up and what Isaiah is saying is he is prophesying a time when one male son will be born of a woman who will come unexpectedly, who will come to do the work, an unexpected work of saving a people and calling God's people to himself in and through the church in Jerusalem. Now, what's he talking about? Of course, Isaiah is looking forward to a day that hasn't come in his day, the birth of Jesus Christ. And with the birth of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the firstborn of God, and you're told this uh, in various places in Romans 8.29, you're told that, that He is the firstborn of God, and then after He comes, that all of these other children will come, will come and that's what you're told here. A son is born, verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. When the son comes after the son, more children come. This is incredible because the wife of God who had not borne him children had borne other children to other men. That's the shocking truth of the Old Testament church. That's actually the shocking truth of the New Testament church. That the church is an adulterer who runs after other husbands. And and the church has delivered children for these other gods, for these other idols. And what should God do with the church? He should reject the church, but He doesn't. He promises that He will come and love the church and that she will give Him children. Jesus Christ is the firstborn to come, that through his work, 
the church will grow and be blessed. So you see, first of all, the church and children. What about application for us? Here's the first thing that I want you to understand. That the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, does not deserve to be blessed in this way. It has been in the history of the church from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 3 on, that the church will run after other gods. We forget our first love and what does God do? Over and over and over, He pursues His bride, the church. He will not let her run away from Him forever. He goes after her. And when He gets her, He loves her. He speaks tenderly to her. And He gives His grace to His church. But it's also important for us to understand, secondly, that it is through the church that God produces His children. It is not outside of the church that God produces children of the faith. There's a church father named Cyprian who was in the 5th century and he said, he said um, that you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. And our confession of faith says that the ordinary means that God uses to bring people to himself is in and through the church. As messy and as terrible as the church is, God delights primarily to work in and through the church. He does not love parachurch organizations the way that he loves the church. He does not work in charities and nonprofits the way that he has promised to work in and through the church. Supporting those things is wonderful. But God loves the church. Do you love the church? And you say, but the church, oh, she's she's a wreck. Absolutely. Because guess what? We are the church and you are a wreck and we together are making up the church and yes, she is a beautiful wreck that God loves. And the fact that she is a mess doesn't change the fact that God works through the church. It actually means that God delights to work in and through the church even more because it shows His glory even more. First thing you see is The church and children, that God brings children through the church and raises up people for himself through the church. So Isaiah says, rejoice in the church for that reason. Secondly, he says, you need to rejoice in the church because it is through the church that you receive contentment there in verse 10. Rejoice with with Jerusalem. Um, You know, you might say at this point, well, Kelly, you've been saying that, that Jerusalem is the church, that Israel is the church. Well, yes, it is because... That is the Old Testament church. Where is Jerusalem? What is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the place where God dwelled with His people. That is the definition of the church. So when Isaiah says rejoice with Jerusalem, he's saying rejoice with the church and be glad for her. Because that is where God dwells. God dwells here today with His church Notice he talks about this range of emotions that you have uh, for her. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, who love the church, who love your mother church, rejoice over her. But then he says rejoice with her and joy all you who mourn over her because, yes, she is a wreck. That you may nurse and be satisfied. That's what he says. He says, rejoice paradoxically. 
Because it is through her, even though she's a mess, that you will receive the nourishment that you need to live. You will receive nourishment. And then he says you will receive contentment. Um, In these next verse, in verse 11, I have to be very, very careful about this. I... um, Isaiah is writing this 2,700 years ago when culturally they could say things a little bit differently than we can say things now. And if I actually said from the pulpit what verse 11 literally says, y'all would probably fire me. But I, I want to point you, and in your Bibles, you probably have a little note that points you down uh, to the bottom at the end of verse 11 uh, where it says this, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious Abundance. Okay. Little, little Hebrew here. Um, the word abundance isn't there. It's another word. Again, look down at your note in your Bible. It'll give you that word. And the word glorious is the word for heavy. Let the reader understand what's being said here. He is giving a graphic illustration of the contentment that comes in the church. He is saying that You in the church, the children of the church, come and receive nourishment. You drink deeply from your mother. And you receive everything from her. Everything that she has to give by God's design. What is being promised here? You are being promised in and through the work of the church real satisfaction. Real contentment. Lasting contentment in the church. It is only through the church, as the church preaches Jesus Christ, that you will truly be satisfied. You will, and you are called here to feast in the house of Zion. To feast because the bride of Christ is giving you herself and is giving you Jesus Christ. Where will you find contentment? Can you imagine the audacity of telling young men that you will not find contentment in pursuing your sensual desires? That you will not find contentment in pursuing sports and the glory that can come from sports? That you will not find contentment from having a good job, from having a nice truck, from having a beautiful wife? You will not find contentment from those things. Can you imagine telling young women in this world that you will not find contentment from the approval and the acceptance from all of the people out in the world, from your friends, yes, but from all of those that are out there on the internet that are clicking like, that are giving you, that are clicking the heart on Instagram and doing those things. You will not find a contentment in those things. Or telling the world today that you will not find contentment in pursuing and maybe even attaining what you consider to be social justice. There is no contentment that comes from that. There's no contentment in pursuing even the ideas as wonderful as they might be of equality, of self-identity, of inclusion, of pursuing human flourishing. None of those things in this world will give you contentment. But it is in and through the church as the church shows you Jesus Christ that you will find contentment and you will receive contentment. It is in the church. How crazy is that? 
in what we're doing here today that you find contentment. That should change the way you view what we're doing here today. The last thing that you see, you see the church and comfort in verses 12 through 14. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. Today, um, uh, it's the end of the Olympics, and the Olympics are going to have the great parade of the nations. And I think throughout Isaiah, we've seen something of what they're doing in the Olympics. The Olympics are attempting to come together over uh, human flourishing, over human excellence. And it's a dim picture of the glory of Christ. And as wonderful as the things that we've seen the athletes do in the Olympics is, God promises something even greater. He is saying that all of those things are going to happen in the church. That the nations are going to come bringing their excellent things, their glorious things, the things that God has given them into the church. And the church will have an abundance. And because of that, he says, I'm going to extend peace to the church. What is peace? It's the word shalom. Shalom means completeness, wholeness, having every single thing that you can ever imagine that you might think you need or want to be completely complete in every way, to need nothing else. And God says, Behold, I extend peace to her like a river. Rivers in Israel don't run like our slow-moving rivers do here. They gush and they rush like torrents. God says, that's the way that I'm going to extend peace to my church, like a gushing torrential river. And when you are swept away in it, you will then have the peace of God. You also find nourishment. We saw that before. Nourishment and peace Look at the way that he describes this peace. And you shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knee. This beautiful picture of a mother with a toddler. And she is bouncing this toddler on her knee. Have you ever heard a toddler cackle with delight over that? It's something so simple. But, but anyone who hears a toddler cackle and laugh because it's being bounced on his mother's knee, you're drawn into that. You love that. You, you just can't help. It's infectious. And God says, that's what I'm going to give my people through the church. This infectious nourishment, completeness and peace and delight. Well, who is the one doing the comforting? Well, we've been saying the church is doing the comforting all this time. In verse 13, God says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Do you want the comfort of God? God gives you his comfort. He offers you his comfort. But you see, all this time he's been talking about Jerusalem, 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 his church. And now he says... I will comfort you. How does God comfort you? How does God draw near to you? He draws near to you through the work of the church. So as the church is comforting, guess what? It's really God who is doing the comforting to his people. God doesn't promise comfort out in the world or from the things of the world, but in the church. So where do you run for comfort? Where do you run for comfort? I noticed... 
couple weeks ago, I was feeding the children a lunch, and, and for lunch, just about every single day, I make myself a salad. I take a head of lettuce, and I cut it up, and I eat it. That's my lunch. And it sounds boring, but when I don't have it, I really start craving that salad. Um, if I don't do that, I start putting on weight very quickly. Okay, It's just something I've learned about, about who I am and what happens. Um, I was feeding the children, and I was making them this, these pizzas. And I just noticed I was... Yeah, I kind of I take a bite here and a bite there, and I would make them something. All this glorious food that I wish I normally could eat, and I just found myself. And I, and I looked up after they ate, and I said, "Why am I feeling so terrible?" And I realized, oh, I was so stressed out that I began to comfort myself in ways that I know are wrong. That I I, I shouldn't comfort myself, and I know what happens to my body when I comfort myself in that way. But what happens to my soul when I run after other things for comfort and I don't run to God? What about you? Where do you run for comfort? What are you seeking to comfort you today? We are living in a very stressful time when things are very hard. Where are you running for comfort? God says, I will extend peace to her, to the church. He doesn't say I will extend peace to food, to alcohol, to drugs. He says, I will extend peace to the church. Where do you run for comfort? Look in verse 14. He says, finally, you shall see in the church. Where, where do you go to see? Where do you go to really understand and see how the world works? You shall see, he says, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass because... Because you're receiving nourishment and you're growing in the Lord. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to His servants. God is saying, you will know that I am at work in the church because I am revealing myself in the church. And you will see the results from it. In joy and love in the church. And then He ends in this way. And He shall show indignation against His enemies. Um, I've noticed with Isaiah, he just can't leave, you know, positive things alone. He's got to give a dig to the enemies of God. He's got to get one in there because there are enemies of God. And he says, it is in and through the church that you will see the enemies of God defeated. Jesus says that the gates of hell will not stand, will not stand against a parachurch organization, a charity. No, he says the gates of hell will not stand against the church. As we are in this together, as we are rejoicing in the church, as we are working together to show forth the glory of Christ, God is at work to bring about both the revelation of Himself and also the judgment on His enemies. God's power is revealed in the church. And again, you say, but the church is a wreck. Well, guess what? So are our mothers (laughs) Isn't your mother a wreck? She might have been the most delightful person in the world, but you saw her at her very worst and her very best. That's what our mothers are like. And our mother church is a wreck as well. And don't you love your mother? Don't you delight in your mother? Well, here's the thing. God's people have one mother. And God delights in His bride. We need to be very careful to not offend God 
by not also delighting in his bride, the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this message today. And I pray that we would rejoice in this body that you have made. Jesus Christ is our great head. He is the fount and, and the river of all blessing to your people. You have given us this glorious institution to show forth your glory to the world. Father, I pray that you would help our hearts to be committed to this glorious institution. To be committed to Jesus Christ, to love Christ and love his bride, to rejoice in her because she rejoices in Christ. Lord, apart from your spirit's work in us, we can't well these things up in our own hearts. So help us to do this for your sake and for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.